Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda, and today on Her Stories we have Dalal Irikat. Dalal is Vice President for International Relations and an Assistant Professor at the Arab American University in Palestine, and she's also a weekly columnist at Al-Qudus newspaper. Welcome, Dalal. Thank you very much, Magda. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you today. Dalal, I've looked at your CV and it's quite comprehensive, but I'd like you to introduce Dalal to the listeners. Who is Dalal? Uh, I'm a Palestinian uh, woman who is very, very passionate uh, to bringing change into the Palestinian society and the Palestinian reality. I strongly believe in uh, the individual role in bringing this positive change, and I am very enthusiastic and determined to uh, to influence uh, bringing positivity and change into the Palestinian society through education and diplomacy. Okay, and how do you plan to... what? Tell me a little bit about your past, your CV a bit, and the things you've done that you believe can help or you would like to put in, back into Palestine. Well, I grew up in Palestine. I grew up in the oldest city of the world, Jericho. And uh, so I finished my high school here. And then I resumed my um, studies, my BA, master's and PhD abroad. And uh, I decided to come back to Palestine and to serve Palestine. I say that because I really want to encourage every Palestinian who gets the chance to travel and to live abroad to, to think about coming back, bringing back to Palestine and to serve our country. The education aspect is very important because as Palestinians, we have figured that education is our, our uh, exit strategy from this uh, situation, from the status quo that we are living. Mm. Well, I've always believed in my my. But my father always used to say to us that I haven't given you a diary, but I've given you an education. That's a better diary than anything else, because it's something no one can take away from you. Yeah. Talk. And that, that's why I, I went into the university and I'm teaching at the university. I'm, I really love my my job. And uh, and I always say it and share it with everybody that the efforts I put, the passion I put into teaching results in the fruits I see at the end of every semester, not in the grades and the marks that the students get, but in provoking the mind, mm. in the thinking that I try to provoke and bring forward in the, in the Palestinian society through students who come to university to pursue their higher education studies. Tell me, what subjects do you teach? I teach diplomacy, conflict resolution, uh, strategic planning. Uh, and these are three separate subjects. What do you teach someone in diplomacy? Um, I teach the 101 diplomacy and, uh, you know, this is a very sensitive issue in Palestine because diplomacy is, is at the end of the day, is a tool to conflict resolution. Mm. So um, I really like to introduce the students and the researchers to the fact that diplomacy is a tool and not an end. Mm. So uh, in order for us Palestinians to, to, to try to comprehend that we should never abandon the diplomatic tools in serving our Palestinian uh, just cause. Having said so, 
if we want to stick to diplomacy, to international law, to UN resolutions, this is very important and we should always be working on joining conventions, joining treaties and making the Palestinian voice and image heard on the international scene to brand Palestine on the best way it deserves. But again, this should go in, uh, in parallel with a Palestinian national strategy that could bring the aspirations of the Palestinians uh, to reality. Uh, tell me, is diplomacy very similar to mediation? Well, uh, mediation is uh, one of the tools of conflict resolution. So when we talk about uh, mediation, negotiations, uh, uh, facilitation, arbitration, litigation, those are all tools that we can use or uh, uh, apply into conflict resolution uh, processes. So, uh, and mediation is, is also one of the, we, we refer to it when we talk about conflict resolution as the third party uh, intervention role in, in conflict resolution, where a mediator could come in and play the role of a mediator or facilitator or arbitrator. Okay, so it's a tool that's used in conflict resolution and is possibly also the role, something that is used by diplomats or part of diplomacy. Yes, this is the traditional. This is the traditional old definition for diplomacy that it was uh, messages between the official diplomats, if I may say. Mm. When we talk about uh, foreign offices and uh, the, uh, you know, the foreign ministries of every country and the diplomatic representation for every country in another, but diplomacy today had had reached many other levels. We can break it down into many kinds of diplomacy. Like for example, we have public diplomacy, which really matters today. And that's where I'm very hopeful and enthusiastic to uh, strengthen the Palestinian public diplomacy, where the public could play a role in changing uh, the perspective in the different publics uh, in other countries. And this would automatically lead to changing the foreign policy of that country because of the change of public opinion. So public diplomacy... So when we talk about public diplomacy, we're talking about the musicians, the artists, the actors, the writers, the academics, the scholars, the athletes. So what really makes uh, each nation unique and not okay. what brings it together with uh, with other countries. That's how we brand Palestine. Because Palestine, unfortunately, for the Palestinian people, we, if you look at our the stereotyping about Palestinians, it is basically the image of the victim, the image of the occupied, the image of the people who are waiting for their international aid. Well, I see the Palestinian people as the, the resilient people, mm. uh, the strong people, the heroes. So that's where we have to focus in rebranding Palestine and focusing in a new narrative for the Palestinians. Instead of saying that we are victims, we should be saying that we are the resilient people. We are an example of the resilient people of today's world. So what you're telling me is that public diplomacy is a way of actually changing the narrative in the public discourse? Uh, in relation to branding, so in, because I was talking to an, uh, about public diplomacy and the different kinds of diplomacy, and okay. here I can mention also media diplomacy, digital diplomacy, and many other kinds of diplomacy. When we talk about branding, mm. branding run, falls under uh, public diplomacy, okay. and branding here focuses on what makes every nation unique what makes it different, what makes it uh, uh, rare and positively unique to add to other nations and other countries in the world. Okay, that's very interesting because I think when even when we talk about women's rights, we're always saying in order to change the way women's rights are thought of and perceived, 
and their um, effect or their involvement in peace building, we've got to change the narrative on the ground. We've got to change the public diplomacy of not we add them in, but they're part of the conversation. Not that they're the victims that need to be thought of now, but there's something that's important that just needs to be there to make it more sustainable. So that's a very interesting. I've learned some one more new thing in these conversations that I'm having. Tell me how um, I, the other thing that I read in your CV that I like and I'm a passionate believer in is that in the power of one. That it doesn't need to be a collective that is talking. One person can make a difference. Each person makes a difference in the public conversation. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I'm a strong believer in the individual role and uh, capacity in, in bringing change. This does not deny the fact that collective work and teamwork is essential and important, but inspired by the fact that each individual and each person and human being was brought to this world, God did not create us for no reason. Mm. I mean, every each one of us has come to this world for a reason. There is a reason that Dalal is here, Magda is here, Irene is here, Tamah is here, Ahmed is here. There is a reason. And every, each one of us needs to be aware, fully aware about the fact that we are not here just to live and die. We are here for a reason. And this inspires us. This should inspire us to, to do and achieve our role in this world in general and in our societies in particular. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, carry on, carry on. Talking about women, it's very important to me to, when we talk about rebranding Palestine, to, to brand Palestinian women, because Palestinian women is the one of the brands that Palestine should be proud of and that should be uh, sharing with the whole world. Palestinian women had proved themselves uh, capable in many different sectors, in uh, in politics, in academia, in economics, in uh, in businesses, in uh, so society work, in many, many different disciplines. And the occupation life that we had lived, Palestinian women had proved that they had played a great role in uh, strengthening the resilience of men, of children, of staying resilient uh, under occupation. And here I would like to mention uh, a number of uh, percentages regarding Palestinian women participation in the Palestinian life. Uh, well, Palestinian women make uh, 49% of the Palestinian society. Uh, until today, we have uh, 43 Palestinian women in the Israeli prison. Okay. Uh, the Palestinian women participation in labor is 18%. In the public sector, unfortunately, 13% of the Palestinian women hold the position of general managers and above. And I, I see this as a very, very uh, humble percentage for the capacities that Palestinian women have. I mean, to be holding the percentage of 13% in general managers' positions and above, this is not something that, that the Palestinian women, women deserve. So had the Palestinian system uh, been more tolerant, been more inclusive, I don't doubt that Palestinian women could reach... Uh, higher percentages. Uh, let me say, not only high percentages, but at least exceed the 50% uh, work. Okay. If we look at the percentages for Palestinian women participation, for example, in the Central Council, the Palestinian uh, Political Central Council, it's 5%, 11% in the National Council, 14% in the Minister's Council, 11% in the Diplomatic Corps, one Palestinian governor, governor out of 16 so, I mean, the percentages are very humble. And I 
I'm a big believer that Palestinian women deserve to have more and uh, uh, demonstrate a greater representation for the Palestinian public. Well, as a avid follower and supporter of the Palestinian cause, I actually did my master's dissertation on the Palestinians. I actually think the one quality I would attribute to the Palestinian woman is resilience. And the other one is creativity in finding different solu- unexpected solutions to problems, which is something that characterizes women generally in that they don't look at the traditional way of solving problems. A problem comes to the table and you just deal with it in different ways. And I think the Palestinian women are a true representation of resilience and creativity. Tell me, how have you any stories you can tell us of resilience of the Palestinian women? Or the, uh, or... Oh, man, the Palestinian women have, uh, I, I can think of many, many different stories right now, but I can share maybe uh, one or two on the, on my, I will reflect on my personal, my personal stories, which reflect on, on the majority of Palestinian, Palestinian women. Okay. And as a mother, mother Palestinian woman, well, Haven't haven't had the chance to study abroad and live abroad for a while. When I came back and I I I first had my my children who started to go to school, for a while I decided to try to raise my kids on international universal standards and to make them live somehow a normal uh, life as any other kid could have uh, anywhere else in the world. So I decided uh, not to share with them any political. Uh, rhetoric or any palest- uh, political narration about occupation. So living in Ramallah, I thought we were uh, very privileged in Ramallah. We had very normal uh, life. They go to a good school. And uh, one day, um, my kid who was in the first grade, so he was not already six years old, he was invited to his birthday, his, his friend's birthday party. And on the day of the birthday party, I received a phone call from the mother saying that the uncle of the kid was uh, murdered by the Israelis, and so he was shot dead, a martyr, and then the birthday party was canceled. At that point, I told my kid that uh, they had some reasons and the birthday party is delayed, postponed. Okay. Uh, that was that for me. The second day, when my kid went to school, he came back from school telling me, Mom, you did not tell me the truth. Mom, you lied to me. The kids were talking about shooting and about the, somebody was being killed by the Israelis. And you did not share the, the reality with me. You did not share. So at that point, I felt so conflicted having at one point some personal dilemmas with my own kid and how about a mother not knowing whether to be fully honest with her kids on political issues or just trying to give him sanity and a normal life under occupation. And at that point, I, I went and I consulted a social worker. I, I went and I had a consultancy mm-hmm. from a, a, a specialist who advised me to just be honest in whatever issue we could talk of with, with the kids. But of course, by using a simplified, a simplified language. Yes. At that point, my kid it did not stop there, the, the, the story. He started observing things which I did not want him to observe at that age. I mean, the checkpoints, the Israeli soldiers pointing guns at us when we, ch- when we cross the checkpoints in our way to, live, to visit the grandparents on every weekend. The, the news and then the Gaza war and the number of kids who lost their parents. So this had generated some kind of political discussion in my own household, which I tried to avoid for, for the sanity of my kids again. But reality 
for Palestinian women is is very, very, very difficult. So even when the Palestinian women take a decision of avoiding and isolating their kids from the political occupation reality that we live, and we try to focus, for example, on the uh, good schooling, the playing or the drawing or the reading mm. or the the well-being, the well-raising of, of, of a kid, the occupation reality that we live under does not allow us to even take that that decision in our own household. Another another um, story that I can share with you is can um, I can I just interrupt you for a second? As a sure. par- as a parent myself, I think I also tried that in the beginning to try and not make have a, a strong or unpleasant discussions in the house. But you know what? Sometimes honesty in a simple language. Not in conflict, uh, conflicting language or using words with color is sometimes healthier for the kids because you're giving them the background and then they can put the color on the words. So you can talk well, about. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm talking totally academically because I mean, I grew, I didn't grow, grow up in such an intense environment, but telling them the truth in simple language, and as I said, not using words with color. Usually yeah, and based... said, this is the advice that I got from the, the the specialist that I consulted, and I again I knew I knew since a very early age that honesty and and here I should mention that honesty is one of the values that I as a person church, but I wanted to share how for Palestinian women even your own mm. uh, values and your own principles get sometimes uh, into a dilemma uh, context. Because you don't really know uh, under occupation, you want to demonstrate the value or you want to raise your kid in sanity or you want to 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 keep your kid's mental being safe and to raise them uh, like any other kid in the world. So this is one of the dilemmas that, that I had to, Deal to with face it. as a Palestinian mother. Okay. It was just a conversation. It wasn't a judgment. It was just something that we you've got to... You, it's a decision you've got to make, and at the time you make the decision that you feel is best. But in your situation, it's a little bit more intense than the rest of us that don't live such intense situations. Okay. Yeah, but it was not did not take long for me to to Change. realize that yes, I have to be honest, even in political discussions. Okay. I mean, until the Trump administration arrived into office, the the kids. I mean, I I had never imagined that my third grade the kid will be talking about uh, the White House and Trump. Oh. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is something that I don't I don't think that any woman in uh, in any ordinary political and social environment would encounter. Mm. But Palestinian women do encounter that. So besides our own personal uh, dilemmas having to do with work, with career, with achievements, with accomplishments, with writing, with teaching, with dealing with the uh, families or the husbands or the society, then comes this little uh, dilemma <laughs> where you have to deal with your own kids about political uh, discussions, which you would not think of. Exactly. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. That's why I said you are res- both resilient and creative. Okay. Well, yeah, ironically, ironically, uh, occupation... Uh, had provoked our creative uh, mindset, exactly. not only for women, but maybe for the Palestinian society in general. I mean, for the youth, for uh, women, men, uh, anybody. We, we, I mean, and creativity is an obligation yes. for uh, us as occupied, uh, occupied nation. Okay, carry on. Um, it was just a, it's just interesting to hear about 
the dilemmas of a mother living in Palestine. Okay. Yeah, another another story that I can share about uh, a Palestinian woman, and this is again a personal story, but it applies to to I'm sure thousands of other Palestinian women. I mean, uh, like every uh, like every society, you would find some women who are very uh, outgoing, who are very uh, determined, and who are uh, focused on their careers and who want to bring change into their society and who believe in their own individual role in bringing change. And uh, like me, for example, when I was growing up here, I had many opportunities, for example, of of joining different conferences and different uh, seminars and workshops around the world. And I remember very well the story of the conference that I I got the chance to to participate in. It was in Germany. And uh, because of visa issues, I did not get to participate. So this is another barrier which comes, again, under the big umbrella of occupation. Mm. But here comes our right of mobility, mm. right of movement, right of become, right of being accomplished, right of reaching our goals, where a visa issuance and the occupation influences render us from reaching our potential. Mm. Now, I, I've seen that a lot when we've been at conferences and we've wanted to invite Palestinians. And the first question is, how easy is it for them to get visas? And it's, yeah, and it's and, important here to to shed light on the... Because now I, I will not deny that maybe West Bankers and East Jerusalem might, might, might get a better or easier uh, treatment or process in issuing visas. But here I have to mention the Gaza people. The Gaza people live in a, in a big prison. I mean, this is something that not only when you become a, a career woman, but also uh, for the teenagers who want to pursue their studies, they get faced with this uh, with this problem of uh, the visa or the, uh, no right to, mm. to exit the, the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, this is a universal right for education, for mobility, for movement, which are which we are deprived of. No, I mean I've seen it regularly. Will the Palestinians get? We want them here. We want to hear their voice. But will they get a visa in time to make it to the conference? And in most cases, it's no. They won't get a visa in time. So I totally, I, I, I don't understand because I've never lived through it, but I, I can feel, I've seen it happen, which I can understand. Senders, the voice being heard and your yes. your personal right to freedom of movement. Okay. Tell me, you you teach, a, you, you believe in education and you believe in cha- education changing the mindset and the brand. Haven't you got any stories from your, your students that you teach? A story that you are, are proud of or has made you laugh in a good way? Um, I can think of many stories, but again, I want to share uh, one story that I'm proud of, mm-hmm. uh, which is becoming repetitive with every semester, with every uh, cohort that I meet. I, I'm teaching now higher, higher education students, so master's level students. Mm-hmm. So as any students in the world, the majority of students would uh, work for it to get a, a, a high mark at the end of the semester. So um, my style of teaching is, I can say, not very conventional. And it really focuses on the, the skills, mm-hmm. the comprehension, the analytical, the presentation. So I really try in my uh, ILOs, in my int- intended learning outcomes of every module I teach, to bring about 
students who are capable in their personalities, in their characters, in their mindset and in their way of uh, thinking, their way of uh, their analytical skills mm-hmm. and their presentation skills to be able to convince those with their uh, with their argument, which is, of course, analytically uh, and objectively based. So in every semester, when we get into the midterm and the students get their, their midterm uh, marks, they get, of course, surprised because they're just used to traditional conventional, uh, the conventional way of, of teaching and mm. methods. So at the beginning, some, the, the, the majority gets frustrated with the, with the marks. But every semester, every semester, at the end of the semester, when they get their final grades, no matter if it's a high mark or just an average mark, I see the majority very satisfied and happy by the fact that with, by the fact of the skills that they had acquired themselves, mm-hmm. uh, the personality change, the mindset change, and um, how they believe in themselves better and how they think uh, that they are better empowered after completing the, the, the course. I'm sharing this story because this is um, a general story which could be shared worldwide. A normal student would care only about the mark, but when we focus... And this is where I think education should be going mm. worldwide, not only in Palestine. We should stop focusing on numbers and data and details and, uh, you know, the bullet points and mm. uh, knowing the information by heart. I mean, all of us now have the smartphones and smart devices. We could Google things and we could use search um, tools it's- to get any information that we want. But what really matters today is how we bring this information together how we analyze those information, the collective, the collectiveness of this information and how we break it down, how we analyze it, and then how we present it logically and objectively. And this is what I want the Palestinian generations to be equipped with. This is how we can bring change into the Palestinian society. But I have to admit, I agree with you that I think there's too much focus on the marks they're going to get and the marks in the bigger scheme of things are almost irrelevant. It's how much information they've taken in and how what they've done with that information personally, and how they can actually sift through it and pick out the pieces that are important and then present them. So I'm totally with you. I think there's far too much emphasis on just the marks, and the marks are not yeah. that important. And I agree with you. That's the way we're going to change the world, not only the Palestinian world, but the rest of the world. If people start looking at the things that count, the things that are important, the things that they need to do together. Um. You talk about isolation in occupation. Has the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, of which you're a part, helped in that, in bringing you out of that isolation? Um, it's very important that you ask this question. And this brings me back to uh, the Palestinian branding, mm. the, the nation branding for the Palestinian people. I mean, when I had the chance to go to the launching event of the Mediterranean Women's Network in Rome, I had the chance not only to be there as Dalal Erekat on the personal level, but I had the chance to put the name of Palestine in that forum. For me, uh, the Mediators Women Network had given Palestine a chance to be visible in its best way. And, and again, this is what we need to be focusing on, what we need to be sharing with, with, with the world what really Palestine should be proud of, what we share with the other world, what mm. we have, what uniqueness do we have and that we could bring to, to the world. So again, the Mediators Women Network had had helped me and uh, provided me with a chance 
to be more visible on the personal level and on the Palestinian national level, of course. And it also gave the opportunity to other women to learn about this network, about those women, about the expertise that it had. And uh, I mean, the skills and the knowledge just, just, and uh, the experience. Just hold on, Dalal. What is that that's ringing in the background? Uh, hold on. It's, uh, I think it's finished now. Okay, so let's start again. What has the Mediterranean Women's Network done for you? Because it's rung three times through. Um, you, what has the Mediterranean, uh, what has the Mediterranean Network done to you in terms of bringing you out of that, or possibly bringing you out of the isolation that occupation often has the effect of? Well, the Mediterranean Women Network uh, had given me on the personal level as Dalal Urakat and on the national Palestinian level more visibility. So when I went to Rome to the launching event of the Mediterranean Women's Network, it was not a personal uh, opportunity for me alone, but it was a great chance for Palestine to be branded and to be represented and more visible in mm. that forum. So being there with other women from all different places in the Mediterranean uh, was a great chance to bring Palestine to the table and to uh, provide Palestine with the opportunity to have more networks and more engagement mm. uh, with with the Mediterranean with the Mediterranean world. So besides the visibility, besides bringing Palestine to the table, we of course had gained from the other representation, mm. the knowledge, the experience, the training, uh, the the information sharing, uh, which which again I and Amal, uh, my colleague from Palestine, and other women would pass. This knowledge should be passed, and I'm sorry. Hold on. Okay. Sorry about that. No worries. It started the point. This gave the opportunity of you and your colleague Amal. Yeah, to to uh, to get start empowered that, ourselves. Start that sentence yourself. Start with saying okay. that gave me and Amal. Uh, that gave me as Dalal Urakat and my colleague uh, Amal Jado as members of the Mediterranean Women Network uh, a chance for more empowerment, a chance for more visibility on the international Mediterranean scene. And also gave us the opportunity to transfer this knowledge, to transfer this experience to our surrounding of society, the women that we deal with, mm. the girls that we teach, and the uh, different uh, youth groups that we uh, encounter and we talk to uh, on a regular basis. Okay. Tell me, if I had to ask you to tell me your best quality, what is Dalal's best quality? What do you think your best quality is? And please don't be humble. Humble is not something I do. <laughs> We've got to be proud of what we're good at. Um, you know, it's a very difficult question when you ask me to talk about my 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 quality. And I might think of, um, you know, if you talk ask me about the, the value that I cherish, it's, it's honesty, mm -hmm. the quality that... Um, that distinguishes me, that makes me uh, different, I think, is my stamina okay. and my determination. Where 
I'm a strong believer believer in my uh, ability in in, uh, in making things uh, that I want to to achieve. Okay. So this is the stamina, the hard work, and the you know the persistence, uh, the resilience as any any <laughs> any other Palestinian. Okay, um, that's good. I mean, we've uh, the one of the reasons we're doing these podcasts is because we have to learn. to acknowledge our good qualities. It doesn't mean we're showing off and it doesn't mean we have, we've got to acknowledge that there are things that we're good at and it's a good thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very resilient in my life, uh, not only on the political level as a Palestinian, but also when it comes to my work, to my writings, to my academic achievements. Resilience is a great quality uh, that had brought me to where I am today. Oh, good. Glad to hear that. Glad to hear that. And I've seen it. Tell me, if I had to ask you of a role model, which woman has played been, played the role of a role model in your life? Uh, <laughs> I'm taking um, a course on uh, international leadership now uh, with Jennifer with the, through the Mediterranean Women's Network. Uh. And uh, after reading her book, she, she, she mentioned in her book that if you um, don't have a role model in a certain uh, sector, it's okay. Mm. Just be it. So I can tell you my mother is a great role model in many different uh, uh, angles of life, of uh, the qualities that I hold, the way I look at life. I mean, the honesty, the information sharing, how I raise my kids, how I look at people and how I treat people. But um, to share uh, honesty on the political level uh, in Palestine, I think we need a role model on, on, uh, on the political uh, angle. Okay. And I really aspire to, to, to help. Uh, bring change into into that uh, field. Not only through myself being that role model. No, I might I might help inspire others mm. in becoming uh, those uh, role models. In Palestine, unfortunately, today we do lack uh, those role models uh, who bring the the kids and the generations uh, behind them on uh, the leadership uh, angle of our life. Uh, I, I want to clarify that when you talk about a role model, it's not necessarily someone someone knows, and it's also not someone that has all the qualities. So it could be someone that said something that set you off to do what you want to do. So I'm agreeing with you. Mothers are always good role models because mothers, either you base yourself on what you saw or you base yourself on what you saw and you did the opposite. And both is good. So role model, it's, uh, role model can be a, some one thing one person said. Yeah, I know, but you don't, you because you asked me about a woman role model. Yes. Uh, I wanted to be specific. Yes, in terms of life uh, uh, qualities and values, it is my mother. Oh, good. And uh, on the political uh, or diplomatic or academic. Uh, Life. My dad, my father had ha, has a great chair, mm. and uh, maybe my professors. I mean, the professors I met, and I can think of one woman. Her name is uh, Francoise Dreyfus. She is a French Jewish professor. Mm. Uh, she is a very resi- resilient, uh, strong, in a very positive way, who had inspired me a lot in my life. I had another male professor who had truly helped me understand. Uh, how to penetrate uh, life, being honest, and at the same time, 
uh, knowing the difference between being diplomatic and uh, being honest at the same time and not having to lie. Because many people uh, conflict uh, diplomacy with, with lies, unfortunately. Yes, yes, they do. I have to say that my uh, my biggest role model is a man. He was my professor at university, international law, when I did my postgraduate degree in international law. He now teaches at the University of Leiden. He was rapporteur for the Middle East, for the UN. And I found him online a few years ago, and I sent him a little message to thank him for being an inspiration in my life. So it's strange where your inspiration comes from or your role model comes from. And you sometimes see it at the time and you sometimes don't. So it's always good to acknowledge the people that were important in our lives. Um, yes, of course. And it doesn't have to be women. No, it doesn't. I, mean, this is, I want to empower women. I want to uh, bring them to the front line, but it doesn't have to be one. If there is a man who believes in women, then chapeau and salute to, 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 to men, of course. No, I totally agree with you. We This is a partnership anyway. We're not here to, sure. we're all in this together. And that's why I said my biggest role, the one person I will single out as a role model is my Professor Dugard in university. And we're talking about a long time ago, but a man that really opened my eyes to, or made me more passionate about the global community and that we are part of a global community. Yeah, um, at the end of the day, we did not choose our taxes. I mean, we were brought to this life like that and we had to cope and deal and adapt. Exactly. And be resilient. <laughs> and exactly. be resilient. Is there anything else you would like to say before we close this um, interview? Um, I am very optimistic uh, through the Mediterranean Women Network that uh, Palestinian women will get empowered enough, will get um, a great network on the international level mm-hmm. where we will be more visible, we will be more empowered, to the point where the political system internally will have to welcome us eventually soon. So I hope that the women's material uh, women's network will soon flourish, will soon become more visible uh, in the UN different forums. That through the Mediterranean Women Network, every political system will have to welcome more women on board. From your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> And I will, I will second that. Inshallah, this happens and it happens quite soon because the world desperately needs a changing system so that we can have a little bit more peace around it. Inshallah. Hopefully. <laughs> um, Dalal, thank you very much for being with me today. I really enjoyed our conversation. And Inshallah, we meet very soon as well when we start moving around physically as well. Inshallah. So thank you very thank much. Thank you, Brian. And have a lovely rest of the day. Thank you, you too. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, please leave comments, suggestions and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, UN Woman, and see you on the next episode.